0: This is the Jack FM News Team's viral podcast. I'm Emma Cohen and here are your top stories relating to the coronavirus pandemic on Friday the 10th of July at midday. It's good news as we're gaining extra freedoms across the UK as COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. In England, outdoor swimming pools are reopening tomorrow and beauty salons later this month. Time to get all glamorous again. Plus people travelling to the UK from dozens of countries no longer need to quarantine from today. The rules are changing to help more of us actually get on holiday. Meanwhile, the head of the World Health Organisation says the total number of coronavirus cases has doubled in the last six weeks. In this podcast, the principal of a performing arts school in Oxfordshire tells me she's concerned that freelancers in the creative sector have been overlooked in the Chancellor's budget. Plus, we catch up with a pub landlord in Wallingford who's imposed a new rule because people haven't been following social distancing. But first, coronavirus has impacted the economy nationally and locally. Oxfordshire County Council's facing a shortfall of around £37 million this year, while the City Council's looking at around an £8 million gap. The government's now looking at ways to get us spending again. This week, Rishi Sunak announced he's cutting VAT for hospitality firms from 20 to 5% and implementing a stamp duty holiday for the property market. Chris Dixie, the sales director of Brecon and Brecon in Summertown, thinks in the short to medium term, that's great news for people in Oxford
1: because we've got until March of next year um, for, um, you know, significant reductions in terms of people's kind of um, cost of purchasing, particularly actually sort of, you know, up to half a million quid, um, which is kind of um, the bulk um, of a lot of people's sort of actual purchase. Um, You know, it's going to make a... um, you know, it's going to make a significant difference. I mean, I think we've sort of worked it out as about 15k if you're buying a half a million quid. Um, which actually, you know, if you think, let's say you were buying a house at that price, um, and, you know, you were just about to exchange contracts, um, you know, there's, that's an extra chunk of money that you've then got maybe to, you know, furnish it. Um, you know, new kitchen, new bathroom. So I think it will make a, you know, a really good difference to people at that sort of, um, you know, at that sort of level. I mean, uh, stamp duty had already been um reduce previously if you're buying i think up to um 125k anyway um so um you know there was already a um incentive for kind of the first time buy market but no i think it'll i think it will make a really really good difference for us in the short term and the other good thing i think it's basically typically for agents um, uh, and you know the the property market in general. we tend to sort of slow down kind of if you lead up to Christmas and then kind of in the in the early part of the year um, so basically by 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 kind of um, cutting it off in March of next year, I think it will mean that the months that we've missed for lockdown i e kind of march April, May, I think the market will kind of continue to be strong kind of towards the end of the year and the early part of next year, um, because um people want to take advantage of this um you know, really significant reduction. Um so, you know, we're we're feeling um, you know, optimistic about the, the, the short to medium term. Um so um no, I think it's great. I think and I think, you know, from a local business owner's perspective, um, you know, all the help that we can have at the moment the better.
0: While Ben Proctor, who's the Managing Director of Oxford Property Consulting, doesn't think first-time buyers will benefit from a stamp duty holiday for the property market.
2: What it means in a nutshell is that... Uh, anyone who's buying a property, the first £500,000 of uh, value of the property which they would normally pay stamp duty on, they're no longer paying stamp duty on between July the 8th, so yesterday, and uh, 31st of March of next year. So uh, for anyone who's buying a property over £500,000, which a lot of people uh, within the Oxfordshire area would be, they would be saving £15,000 on their purchase. So it's good news. Uh, In a nutshell, yes, it probably is good news. Um, There are obviously some potential unintended consequences of any interference within any economic market. Um, The question is going to be whether what actually we see is that an increase in demand, which this is intended to to create, will actually push up prices. So that will will be something which only time will tell.
3: Interesting. I understand that um, the housing market normally takes a bit of a dip towards sort of new year and the start of a new year um yep. do you think that this measure will give the market a chance to recover from uh, from the the lost months due to coronavirus
2: well actually what we're hearing from most of the estate agents around oxfordshire is is that actually they've had a really positive bounce back from the end of the lockdown and demand has picked up massively over the uh the last um, four to six weeks, however long it is, since uh, since the market reopened, and actually that this measure in Oxfordshire may not be something which is massively required. Uh, I suspect that there will be other parts of the country where we'll see a a bigger positive impact of the stamp duty holiday, um, as they're calling it, um, than than we will do in Oxford. One thing that we've seen in the past with with interventions by the government into the housing market is that actually quite often they can have a negative effect. And and quite possibly the, the thing that we've got to be really cautious of is that that actually the biggest impact that we're likely to see on the housing market is when the furlough scheme ends and support for self-employed ends, which could lead to uh, decreases in income, job losses, uh, big changes in demand-side factors, which could lead to a decrease in demand of of the properties. Hopefully, that doesn't coincide with the end of the stamp duty holiday, because what that might mean is that we see... A positive impact of it now, but actually when the scheme ends at the end of March that we see a double dip based on uh, the end of this, the end of the furlough scheme, big job losses that have happened previous to the end of the stamp duty holiday um, and then actually we may see a bigger negative impact down the line, which has a, a much bigger effect. And that's even without any second spike, which the, the medics and the uh, uh, epidemiologists are talking about. We had, yeah. um,
3: we had some words from Leila Moran on this. Um, she said that uh, this particular element of yesterday's announcement only really benefits the wealthy. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, yeah, there is definitely an argument to say that that's the case. Unintended consequence of this is that, First-time buyers, who are the lifeblood of, of the housing market, you know, they, every chain of property transactions starts normally with someone starting at the bottom of the bottom of the chain, getting onto the ladder. Um, and first-time buyers have actually had uh, no stamp duty say up to three hundred thousand pounds anyway, and, and reduced stamp duty up to five hundred thousand pounds. What this this holiday is doing is leveling up the playing field for everyone, which means that um, those who are buying second homes, those who are buying their second home, uh, even if they are selling, selling a property, they're also not being charged stamp duty. So uh, it, it actually increases um, demand for properties that first-time buyers are looking to buy. So yes, there is certainly some um, semblance of truth in the fact that it will impact uh, those at the lower end of the market, potentially, worse than, worse than everyone else.
0: The Chancellor also revealed firms will be given £1,000 for every worker they bring back from furlough and create new jobs for young people. Reacting to the budget, Labour's shadow Chancellor and Oxford East MP Anneliese Dodds was disappointed.
4: Britain should have had a back-to-work budget. But instead, we got this summer statement with many of the big decisions put off
0: until later. Meanwhile, there's concern freelancers in the creative sector have been excluded from getting any support in Rishi Sunak's budget. Three million UK taxpayers are being left out of meaningful government COVID-19 support schemes, according to Exclude UK. Tara is the principal of Stagecoach Performing Arts in Didcot and Abingdon. She told me she's worried that a £1.5 billion support package to the arts is too little, too late.
5: We're always going to welcome the government pledging any money to support the arts it It does see feel a little bit um, too little too late, but we'll have to see how the money's divided up and who's going to benefit benefit the money i mean it's been over a hundred days since lockdown and there's been very little support for the you know the big theaters and the smaller venues. We just need to see when they're going to be able to open again. they haven't been able to actually get in um, and yet things like pubs and airlines are able to start working so we'll see It's 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 welcome it's absolutely welcome because any money towards this uh, towards the arts um which is a huge, massive industry for the UK. I think one of the stats I found is that it, it's estimated 13 million an hour um, goes into the UK economy from from the arts and the cultural section. So uh, it's not small business and it needs to be supported and we can't let it die. So it's a start. It's definitely a start.
0: You said that you think it might be a little too late. Why is that?
5: I think there are so many... Um, both theatres and smaller venues that haven't been able to kind of just keep afloat at the moment. There are theatres already that are closing down because they haven't been able to pay the bills. It's, you know, 100 days. It's a long time to go with little to no funding. Um, so we'll, we'll see. And it's also the question is, is how are they going to spread out this money? Because it's when you, when you think about it, of all the venues and not just the big theatres, but the smaller you know, grassroots venues where people go to develop their craft where, you know, small bands or comedians, you know, that's where they start. That's where they develop. That's how they learn. You know, these are the places that are likely going to get swept under the carpet. Um, And, you know, hopefully they'll be able to survive. But there is a real fear in the community that they're going to disappear and all of these little venues will just be gone.
0: Could you benefit from having some extra funding, what would you need at the moment?
5: As far as um, a, a situation, you know, a venue like myself, sorry, a business like myself, isn't going to be able to access any of this funding. It's, you know, we're a combination of a business and an educational institution. The thing that we might be benefit from is having these small venues still open because a lot of the small venues tend to be the type of places where we can get our kids in to perform. Um, You know, we've got kids who perform at the Oxford Playhouse. We've got kids who've been able to go into the new theatre and doing, who get invited to sing in in the shows um, that the new theatre puts on. And if those venues close, then, you know, these kids who it's the highlight of a year sometimes going to perform in these venues, that's going to be gone. So it's more about the... um, It's less about, for me personally, the financial uh, benefit, but more the opportunities that young people are given Um, and a lot of our, you know, graduates, those who want to take it seriously, you know, if they're losing these these venues, they're not going to have as many places to go and develop their craft and it's just quite a bit worrying at the moment.
0: Also commenting on the government's emergency fund to the creative sector is the Oxford Art Society, which says it's very, very welcome. Johannes von Strom told me the pandemic has been a difficult time.
6: It's an incredible gift to the creative industries and very, very welcome. I mean, uh, Oliver Dowden, the Culture Secretary, said that the arts are the crown jewels and the soul of the nation. And I think that describes it very well. And that has to be kept alive. Uh, They helped, the government helped already before with grants, with small grants for some artists, which was very welcome too. We have to keep that, we have to keep this part of the society alive if we can. And it will be extremely difficult in the future because the the economy suffers and Brexit is uh, in front of our door as well.
0: How has the pandemic actually affected the society in Oxford?
6: Well, we had to cancel one exhibition, and we only have two exhibitions a year. It was all prepared, so there was a lot of work which had gone into the preparation of the exhibition. And that was all for nothing. Very sad. We had a um, wonderful speaker coming. and um, So that's that's bad for about 200 visual artists uh, showing their work there and selling their work and, and not having the chance to do that.
0: In other news, ventilators have been a big issue during the coronavirus pandemic. They're used when people are really poorly in hospital with the virus. Now the government's challenge has come to an end because technicians, engineers and scientists in Oxfordshire have helped develop almost 14,000 ventilators during the crisis. The final shipment headed out from the Penelon site in Abingdon this week. The Science and Technology Facility Council in Didcot provided a team of over 70 people to test them before they reached the NHS and senior engineer Jeff Gilley told our reporter Just about something incredible was happening right on our doorstep.
7: What we've done is supply the people, really, Um, lots and lots of people. I think there's about 70 or 80 staff who were sent there, and they're people who are all highly skilled. They they spend, uh, well, all of us, we spend our days working on innovative and exciting technical challenges from building new spacecraft and particle accelerators to working on giant lasers. And whether they're uh, senior engineers or brand-new apprentices, all the people that went to help all had either relevant experience or just a passion to really try and make a difference during this crisis. Mm,
4: But still, even though, like you say, they've all got different expertise, it must have been challenging at times, but also I'm guessing quite rewarding to be involved.
7: Oh, it was incredibly rewarding. I think um, it's been a true privilege and really, really humbling. It wasn't just people from SDFC there. There were lots of other technically able people from uh, local F1 teams and also uh, lots of people who had come from either local businesses or um, were like school leavers who who needed to get involved in something because during lockdown, what else can you do that's positive? And this was something incredible happening right on our doorstep. And it didn't matter what people's background was before COVID. People were willing to just roll up their sleeves and get stuck in on any job. And I think um, I found that really, really an inspiring atmosphere to be in part of.
4: And I'm curious as well, that an awful lot of ventilators that were produced during the ventilator challenge. And I wondered whether they were all kind of needed and used. I don't
7: know exactly where they've all gone or how many of them have been used. What, what we hope is that not all of them are needed because that means we've got enough. I think if, if they're all being used, that's a sign that we, we could have built more. Um, but I've, I've heard that there are people coming off ventilators after weeks and weeks and weeks now in some hospitals, and quite a few of those have been the ones made in Abingdon. And I think that makes me feel really honoured to have done my bit.
4: What now for the team that were moved over to work on this challenge? Uh, do they just sort of go back to their normal jobs?
7: Some people will have been able to carry on doing some aspects of their role anyway throughout. If there were um, home working aspects to it, but um, at the moment the laboratory going through a phase of ramping back up to uh, a new normal of working. So lots and lots of um, lots and lots of those volunteers from our site will have dipped in and out of the project as works ramp back up on site. And um, yeah, I'm. I think we're hoping to have. Uh, something around about 30% of technical staff back in the laboratory by September. It's amazing how um, how motivated people were to just get on with something that should have been, uh, well, and was very, very challenging. But I think it's just that this this problem has been so uh, emotional for a lot of people. There's been a real drive and passion and um, enthusiasm to just get on and make it happen i think there were like all things when when you're there at the coalface not everything goes well first time but seeing how people just got on with it um was really really inspiring for me and i um I, i think that's what i'm going to take away from this experience that you can just you can just get stuff done when everyone everyone's really really Uh, driven and excited to do something
4: yeah and at the end of the day what you did ultimately helped save lives and and you know that's something that you can always kind of say about the project and you know a nice thing to take away from it isn't it
7: yeah but only because so many people dedicated so much time and effort to the project there's no there's no one person that could have done any aspect of this on their own
0: that was senior engineer jeff gilley An Oxford cycling delivery firm is doing its bit to support local scientists fighting coronavirus. Pedal and Post have been biking clinical samples from COVID-19 patients to Oxford train station, where they go to labs in London by rail. Chris Benton is the company's founder and has been chatting to our journalist Alex about what makes them more reliable.
8: Obviously, we've been impacted by COVID-19, just like many other businesses. However, we've had a number of our clients actually see an uptick, particularly in veg box deliveries, and we're running our own new local Oxford supermarket grocery project too, uh, which involves about sort of 15, 20 different local traders now as well, which has been, you know, fantastic development.
3: And I understand you guys are involved in the in the moving of a very special material up to the train station.
8: We do indeed. So this is. Um, actually an add-on to a contract we've been doing for uh, about a year now. So we do clinical samples uh, that we collect from various clinics across Oxford. We load them onto the GWR high-speed passenger trains. They get shot down to London, and another cargo bike team unloads the last mile to get them to the specialised labs down in London. And the whole process is just helps improve like patient care, because we can essentially improve the timing. Uh, it's much much quicker to do it this way, and much more reliable uh, to then get the um, diagnosis and results back to those particular patients.
3: But we've seen a real community spirit across the county, across the across the nation. The little companies, big companies, all doing their bit. What does it mean to you guys to provide a service that's that's able to be such a force for good and so necessary?
8: It's been really rewar- rewarding for us. And for the whole team to know that, you know, we're quite a small, small cog in the logistics world, but knowing that we can have, you know, such a big impact and actually improve, you know, everything from medical deliveries to grocery deliveries to, you know, delivering e-commerce parcels, um, just knowing that we're kind of doing our bit for the community in Oxford, uh, it's just fantastic. And, you know, the reception from a lot of the you know, residents and community has been amazing. Like, they're really appreciative of a lot of the stuff we've been doing recently.
3: Why is a business like this suited to a, a city like Oxford?
8: Uh, particularly within the inner you know, ring road, I mean, pre-COVID-19, um, you'd experience, you know, gridlock congestion. You know, we've got air pollution problems, road safety issues. Um, so, uh, you know, a team like ours, you know, helps remove and replace a lot of the logistics and courier type sort of traffic lead experience. Um, So with the ability to be able to filter using cycle lanes and, you know, provide sort of an emission-free, quicker and more reliable and actually more cost-effective alternative in many cases, um, you know, it's been brilliant and it's quite well-suited to Oxford because we do have traditionally sort of medieval narrow streets. We've got quite limited road space. So making the most efficient use of that space is, you know, kind of what we're doing. Do
3: you think that, I mean, obviously there's been improvements quite recently and over the last decade or so trying to make the city safer for cyclists. And there's been an increasing number. And I know that a lot of people have been getting on their bikes during lockdown. Um, do you think that enough is being done across the city to, uh, to help cyclists and make cyclists, cycling safer?
8: I'd say things are moving in the right direction. Um, We've got some fantastic people, you know, who are working really, really hard, particularly in the council and lots of, you know, um, like community groups who are really pushing for that kind of change. We know we've seen quite a number of people now, you know, sort of traffic and motor vehicles are returning to the city, kind of thinking that, you know, it's too dangerous to ride the bikes, they're having to go back and either use their own cars or different transport methods, which I think is quite a shame. But I think there's some really good things coming, particularly with the connecting Oxford plans and the zero emission zone plans as well. There's lots of good things in motion in the city that I think could spark, you know, kind of a, an active travel revolution in Oxford, if you like, that we've all been looking forward to for quite a long time.
0: Also this week, a new service is launched in Oxfordshire, which helps to help young people deal with anxiety and uncertainty caused by COVID-19. It's open to 16 to 25-year-olds with one-on-one support for mental health issues like stress, exam pressure or depression. Alex has been speaking to John Clark from the Mental Wealth Academy.
9: So the Mental Wealth Academy is a new um, project in Oxfordshire that supports young people who are struggling with their mental health. Um It started this year to support young people who are eighteen to twenty five um, and since the um, since covid and lockdown we 've actually reduced the age that we 're allowed to work with who so are working with sixteen to twenty five year olds offering kind of one to one support, um, which is all done virtually um, by a team of staff who work across the county so in real time they could actually meet young people um, but for now they 're doing virtual kind of one to one support sessions to help young people. Um, with whatever that may be, if they've got anxiety or low mood and depression, um, just to help them give a bit of extra support with um, whatever they need.
3: Obviously, uh, COVID-19 has uh, put a stop to schools. What extra exam pressure, obviously with a a long period of uncertainty leading into changes to the exams and, and everything that's gone on there, what sort of burden has that put on young people's mental health locally?
9: Yes, yeah, so I think obviously the uncertainty levels, um, have. it's a really an uncertain time for young people at the moment. They might have had kind of apprenticeship plans for September or college place or a university place that has now kind of been jeopardised um, by the fact that they've not taken exams. so anxiety levels have gone through the roof um, and just kind of entering the unknown, even more so than usual. I mean, we work with a lot of young people who aren't in education, employment or training that the county council are kind of very keen to get back into education employment, or training and if this position that we're in at the moment makes it even harder for young people if they have um, kind of fallen out of education employment, or training to get them back in, in an even harder time in September etc. So we're you know, trying to work as best as we can to support them um, to find out they kind of a September destination and guarantee that they can actually take up that college place or albeit um, or, or virtually potentially or, or get that place at university etc.
3: Interesting. Um, just as a more general question, it's hard growing up at the best of times, but uh, with obviously this crisis and everything that comes with it, what extra burden has been put on the mental health of young people?
9: Um, I think, surprisingly, obviously, I think a lot of young people have anxiety and fears about going to school and things like that, but actually... Also, lockdown has actually um, induced a lot of anxiety of people staying at home and kind of getting comfortable with staying at home and actually going back out and kind of reintroducing themselves to their kind of a wider social circle of being in busy public places again, um, especially for those young, young people that have got um, special educational needs that potentially might have struggled in, in the first place um, in, in busy kind of loud and um, overpopulated kind of um areas so yeah this is only but kind of added to those um fears and worries really of young people going back out into into kind of the community really in in towns and cities the service that we're providing is open for everyone so it's like i said 16 to 25 young people can self-refer which is quite unusual for a mental health service so we've got an online referral form where a young person can literally type in their details Um, it can be referred to a parent a guardian a teacher, GP, um, and then, yeah, that gets kind of sent through and then we'll refer, look at the referral and then offer the support depending on, on what the young person needs. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to be as av- open access and kind of available to um, as many young people inclusive as possible. Um, and we're just really excited to kind of be at the forefront of this, this is a new, new project that we've just started and it's working so well in Oxfordshire. Um, and hopefully, it will, it will grow larger and it will soon be in, piloting in different parts of the country as well.
0: That was John Clark from the Mental Wealth Academy. Pubs may have only just reopened, but three were forced to close again this week because customers tested positive for COVID 19. Now, one in Oxford is only allowing over 25s after 8 pm for the foreseeable. The Royal Standard in Wallingford has seen unprecedented numbers of young drinkers who aren't following social distancing rules. David Haynes is the landlord and told me the decision will be reviewed periodically until we're in safer times.
10: We have a large pub in town called the Boat House which um, primarily is the, uh, the destination these guys would go to um, ordinarily, um, and consequently they came down to us, um, and then suddenly going from a you know sort of 50, 60 people all having a nice quiet drink. Um, we suddenly had about 100 youngsters all coming in, one after the other. Um, and at that point, any social distancing measures that we put in place just went out the window.
0: So what are you going to be doing then in response to this?
10: Well, we're going to get a doorman. Um, as you know, I've issued a, a statement saying that no uh, under-25s are allowed in after 8pm at night. Um, so I've organised a door staff for tonight who will do temperature checks on the door as opposed to inside the pub. Um, and take phone numbers as well as they come in for track and trace Um, and anybody who turns up that uh, hasn't got ID proving that they're over 25 if they look younger, um, unfortunately won't be allowed access to the premises
0: What's your message then to anyone who might be affected by this?
10: Obviously drink responsibly because that would help us a a huge amount Um, but I'm sorry, at the moment um, in these rather strange times we have to um, look after our customers, we certainly have to look after our staff uh, and to have large groups of people who, you know, just flaunt any regulations, um, pulling tables together, sitting in large groups, uh, standing in corridors, uh, filling the toilets and, and essentially just refusing to um, obey any um, or acknowledge any uh, requests to, to behave, um, we can't cope with it, so please don't come. Um, there are other pubs that are better designed, um, are larger spaces, have more staff, um, and are probably more used to, to that type of clientele. Um, and you know, I urge them please go there because um, you will have a good time there, and unfortunately, you won't be able to have a good time with us anymore.
0: Do you have an idea of how long this will run for?
10: I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Um, we will review it periodically. Um, I actually suspect, um, certainly from the response that we've had, um, it will work in our favour in terms of getting the the people in here that we do want, um, i.e. the slightly older um, partners, wives, families, um, uh, and friends who are quite content to come out, as usual, uh, have a nice meal and uh, a a nice drink together, um, as opposed to turning every venue they go to into a party place. Um, where you know, the jungle telephone works quite quickly these days, and uh, they all arrive en masse.
0: Three pubs in England have actually been shut down already. I don't know if you've seen yeah. this just yet. Um, I this, have. I, what are your kind of thoughts on this? Are you shocked, prepared for this to potentially happen at your pub?
10: Um, am I shocked by the closing of the pubs? Uh, well, I'm disappointed more than shocked. Um, unfortunately, uh, nobody knows uh, what's going on out there. Um, so we have to all plan on a day-by-day basis. Um, am I prepared to close down? Well, of course, I have to if, if I'm told um, by the authorities um, that something has happened in this pub and we have to close down, then you know, I have no choice in the matter. Would I be happy about it? Of course not. Um, we're trying to make a living here. We're trying to get back on our feet after three and a half months of no business and no income. Um, however, said saying that, if we implement these measures now, get them in quickly. um, There's no reason why we can't control um, what what we need to do um, in order to establish a a good pub that's safe for for people to come to. You know, I I wish all the pubs out there uh, a lot of luck.
0: We did a Twitter poll to find out your thoughts in banning under 25s after 8pm. Out of 152 votes, 80% reckon it's a great idea. 13% 13% weren't bothered, 6% voted for It's Unfair and a smidgen said the pub should get more staff. And a team of volunteers in Bista are celebrating after delivering one million food packs to hospitals across the country. Soldiers, veterans and local residents have been packaging and distributing the meals from a World War II hangar at a former RAF base in the town throughout the pandemic. Sarah Askew from Salute the NHS in Bista says they're so chuffed to have reached the milestone.
11: The operation's been an incredible success. On Monday, we reached our milestone, which was one million meals. So that's an amazing achievement. Uh, we've had the most a fabulous response from the local community. We've had more than 8,000 people volunteering up at the hangar, um, which has meant that they've given 51,000 hours of their time. Um, to make sure that we got to that million meals for the NHS.
0: How does it feel then to have actually achieved this milestone?
11: Incredible. Monday was a very emotional day um, for us, but also for all our partners. We were joined by Ron Dennis and his Dream Chasing Foundation, Absolute Taste, Yodel, Unilever and Tesco's, who've been providing uh, the meals. Um, so it was an incredible achievement to see that millionth meal box go down the line. Um, But it's also quite sad. There have been a lot of people all the volunteers. We've been so lucky um, with the volunteers that have come up to the hangar day after day and giving up their time. There's been lots of dancing, lots of singing, lots of tears uh, and lots of friendships been made and lots of support, but that's quite hard that it's now over. And so I know that there are people who will be at home today because yesterday was the last day for volunteers. Um, wondering what they're going to do because they used to get up early and coming up here for a shift. Um, but we're hoping there will be um, other opportunities to volunteer in the future locally. I'd just like to say um, thank you never seems enough, but thank you to every single volunteer who gave up their time and um, their energy and brought their passion and enthusiasm to come up to the hangar day in, day out. They are amazing. Um, lots of people even came when they'd gone back to work, they'd come on their days off. Um, so it's just been the most amazing experience for all of us. I feel very privileged and honoured to have been a part of it.
0: Sarah from Salute the NHS in Bister. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Jack's Viral Podcast. Keep up to date on the latest news in Oxfordshire by giving us a follow on Twitter. Just search at JackFMNews.